Livermore podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Harris. Set apart a biblical view of holiness. So last week we talked about this a bit, and we talked about the word holy, which is the Hebrew word kadosh. And that word, uh, if you look it up in like Bible helps, those kind of things, it's going to explain it as this, separate from human infirmity, impurity, and sin. And one of the places that's kind of a famous place where we see this word used is in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah sees the glory of God, he shows up supernaturally and he sees powerful giant beings called seraphim or these giant angels with six wings and they're singing and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now this word, holy, 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 when you see a word repeated like that in Hebrew, it's a way of giving emphasis. So if I was to say truly, it means it's true. Truly, truly might be a comparative, more true or extremely true. Truly, truly, truly would be a superlative, perfectly true, most true. Uh, So when we see holy, 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 the angels are declaring God as separate, perfect, without sin, above and the most high possible beauty of anything in all of, of all known existence. And so if holy means that, separate from sin, separate from any kind of impurities, separate from any kind of infirmity, separate from any wrong, how can God make me holy? Last week we talked about, you know, we're not holy, God is holy, God can make us holy. Today we're going to dive in a little more to answering this question, how practically can God make us holy? How does it work? And when we think about this, the author of Hebrews, it's a letter to the Hebrew people in the New Testament talks a lot about the idea of how God develops this idea of holiness, this set apart, this perfection that God desires for us, how he helps us live out and walk in that, and how he makes us people who can truly be holy. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come. So he's referencing all the rules God gave in the Old Testament. So if you kind of take the story of humanity, we were created. We were created for perfection and relationship with God. He put us in this garden and we had perfect relationship with each other, Adam and Eve, and perfect relationship with God. We could walk with him in the cool of the day, but they were deceived into disobeying God. When they disobeyed God, he said we would die. The death was separation from that relationship with God. And so over time, people began to get more and more sinful, more and more turn away from God. We're making more and more mistakes, hurting each other, hating each other, producing death on the earth, because every time, uh, the Bible said every time we sin, we produce death. And so every time we miss the mark of what God has for us, it's going to produce death. Example, if I'm rude, Pastor Mark's in this room right now. If I sin against him, if I lie, if if I don't live up to my word with him, if I hurt him, if I gossip about him, I can actually produce death in our relationship. It kills the intimacy. It kills the closeness of our friendship. And so sin produces death. So what God did is he gave the people of Israel this law, right? And it was all the rules on how to avoid sins. And now this author of Hebrews is explaining all those rules, all those laws were given as a shadow of something to come, not the actual image of the thing. It was a picture. It was a foretelling. It was a foreshadowing. It was a symbolic, uh, almost prophetic vision of what was to come. And it said that was having a shadow of the good things to come, but it wasn't the very thing itself. But those things can never, with those same sacrifices, can never, uh, with those same sacrifices which are offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. 
So it's saying, despite the fact that God gave the law, despite the fact that God gave the rules, those rules, even if you obey them, even if you follow through with all the sacrifices and all the rituals and all the different things, they could never fully perfect any human being. So can those rules make us holy? The answer was no. They gave us an image of what holiness was, but they didn't empower us to live that perfection or that holiness. So he goes on to say this, because he's kind of using a logical argument here. For then, they would have ceased to be offered. Because if those sacrifices, if those rituals, if those processes had have truly made us holy, made us perfect, you wouldn't have had to make any more sacrifices because you're already perfect now. You don't have anything to sacrifice for. I'm already doing everything right. But he argues the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. In other words, every year they would come and make a sin of atonement, come and make sin offerings. And what it was actually doing is reminding them, I have sinned, my sins produce death, and I need to make an offering for that. I need to do something to pay for the mistakes I've made throughout the year or the things I've left undone throughout the year. And then it summarizes it this way, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So the image is this. In the Old Testament, you'd often have an animal like this and a person would would pray to God and they would place their hands on the animal and it was a picture of their transferring their impurity, their mistakes, their, their, their wrongs that they've done. They would the guilt and the shame of that would transfer onto the animal and the animal would die on your behalf. So it was the idea that that animal's death would replace your death and pay for your death. So the, the, the animal's death was in a way covering and protecting you. And that's why it's so powerful when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he goes, behold, the lamb of God, who's not just a covering for sin or a one-time payment of sin, who takes away the sin of the whole world. His picture was this. He understood, as, as soon as he's using terms like Lamb of God, anybody in that culture would have understood. John the Baptist is saying, that is a sacrifice. That is something that will give its life for someone else. Now, if you're someone who goes, man, it's kind of awful, all these sacrifices, all these death and blood. And I mean, why would God want that? Honestly, he didn't want that. That wasn't his desire. His desire was that no one would sin, that everyone would live in love. But he has to be faithful and just to his own rules. Sin does produce death. It can either kill us or it can kill something else. And that's why the author of Hebrews reminds us, this is statements of God. Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings uh, and offerings for sin you did not desire. That's not what God desired, nor did he take pleasure in them, those which were offered according to the law. The reason he provided that was so that he didn't have to kill people. Now, unfortunately, animals were taking that death on behalf of the people. So then he said this, behold, I have come to do your will. This is speaking of of the Messiah to come, Jesus. He takes away the first that that he may establish the second. Okay, so what does that mean? The first was, I'm gonna provide the law which gives you sacrifices and burnt offerings that can cover your sin. But there's a new thing coming, which is that by someone doing my will perfectly, doing God's will perfectly, and becoming the sacrifice that's a perfect sacrifice, the less good sacrifice that can only cover our sin but not take it away will be removed. And this second, this new sacrifice will actually not only just cover over, it'll wash away our sin and make us completely new. And he describes that in the death of Jesus. Why would God come, live a life as a human being, and then die a death on a cross? Because he was the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the whole world. 
by that will, in other words, by Jesus obeying the will of God to become the sacrifice that took away the sin of the whole world, we have been sanctified. We have been made holy. You're actually not waiting to be made holy. If you're someone who goes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm seeking God. He positionally makes you holy. The moment you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. He washes your sins away. He forgives your guilt. He washes your shame away. And he, and he declares prophetically, you are holy. You are set apart. You are different. You are made uh, unique for God's purpose on life. And he did that through one offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It was done once. It is still effective today. So the reason God can make me holy is his sacrifice is perfect. The sacrifice before was temporary. It covered one sin. It was limited to just one sin. This sacrifice covered all sin and washed it all away. And with one sacrifice of Jesus's life, he makes us holy, set apart to God. That's what he promises here in the book of Hebrews. Now it goes on to say this, every priest that stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, those sacrifices which can never take away sins, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, one sacrifice for sins forever. Does that include you? It includes you. Does it include me? It includes me. It includes everybody. One sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. That's a picture of a completed work. There doesn't need to be more sacrifices made. In fact, if we were to sacrifice animals now or do some kind of uh, rituals to to earn forgiveness from God, it would actually be a slap in the face of the work of Jesus. Because what we would really be saying is, Jesus, your work on the cross is not enough. So he says, no, 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 no. This sacrifice was made once. It, it washed sins away forever. I can sit down at the right hand of God. Now, that guy who's sitting at the right hand of God is not just sitting there doing nothing, by the way. He sat down and now he begins to work. And it describes that work as being almost like one of the priests. So earlier in the book of Hebrews, he makes these comments. There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So here's what he's saying. Before, if I sinned, I go to the priest, the priest helps me out. The problem was, priest has his own sins. He's gotta make sacrifices for his own sins. The priest is not gonna live forever. The priest is gonna be a temporary ministry to help us, to serve us, to bless us. That's not true of Jesus. He because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So not only has Jesus become the perfect sacrifice, he was the lamb of God who laid down his life for all of us. He's also the priest who begins then to serve the people, support the people. What is the role of the priest? He represents the people to God. How does Jesus continue to represent us to God? He is God. How does he represent us to God? It's interesting what the book of Hebrews says. Therefore, he, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost. So when we talk about holiness, the idea is being set free from impurities, set free from sin, set free from addictions, any of those things. He's describing here a salvation, a freedom, a deliverance that is total or complete. It covers all. And he says he's able to save those, save to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, through Jesus. So if we go, Jesus, you're the sacrifice. You're the lamb of God who takes away my sin. You're my Lord and my savior. I'm gonna follow you. He saves us to the uttermost completely, fully, totally. Since he always, I love this, lives to make intercession for them. 
imagine this truth. Not only is Jesus the sacrifice that makes us holy, he's also the priest who's praying with us that we continue to walk out that holiness, that we live out that holiness, that we obey him, that we hear from him, that we support him. It's one thing to believe God answers my prayers, which I'm very thankful that he does. It's a much greater thing that he's praying for me. Jesus is actively praying for you and me. That gives me a lot of comfort. Be honest, my prayer life goes up and down. My focus on Jesus goes up and down. My strength in my own ability to to follow Jesus and serve him goes up and down. My willingness to fully obey God goes up and down. But Jesus never falters, never fails, never changes. He's living to make intercession for us, strengthening us in, in our journey with him as we move forward. Now, you might wonder at this point, well, if he already made us holy, he's already praying for us. I feel like I still make mistakes sometimes. I feel like I still fall short sometimes. So you're saying I'm holy and and maybe positionally that's true. When God looks at me, he sees me as holy, set apart, pure. He's washed my sins away, all those things. But I find I still make mistakes sometimes. And if we jump back to Hebrews chapter 10, a similar thing is being said about the role of Jesus. Jesus is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. He's conquered sin. He's set us free from everything that could ever hold us down. Nothing will separate us from his love ever again because he's died for us. He's risen from the dead for us. He's given us new life. All that is true, but then it describes him this way. It says, from that time, he's waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And and a theological idea you might hear often is this idea of already, not yet. Jesus has already defeated death, the grave, and hell but we haven't seen it fully established on the earth with a new heaven and a new earth where nothing dies and there's no more sorrow, no more tears, what's described at the end of the book of Revelation, right? Uh, The perfection where God has restored everything to exactly the fullness and the completeness of his original design. And we're actually gonna get into that towards the end of this series together, that God's ultimate plan, what we might call glorification or the culmination of his work where everything's restored to the way it's originally intended by God and we enjoy the fullness of heaven on earth with God. Right now we get glimpses, tastes, while we go through this journey where there's still challenges, where there's still temptations, where there's still opposition, where there's still persecution. The good news is ultimately in all those things, we're still more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. So when he's describing our journey on earth, our life on this earth, positionally we're made holy God is working out our lives a way in which we can experientially walk in that holiness. In other words, right now, God has positionally made me where he looks at me, he sees no sin. He's teaching me to live my life in such a way where I actually don't participate in sin any longer. The truth is I still do sometimes. And then I have to recognize that, I have to repent from that. And then I receive from God his grace to not move that way anymore. And he describes that in the next verse in this way. By one offering, by the offering of Jesus, God has perfected forever. So you're perfected positionally. You're set aright by God positionally forever. Those who are in the process, who are being sanctified. So he has made us holy and he is making us holy. He has perfected us forever. He's in the work of helping us experientially live out that perfection in our lives, in our attitudes, in our hearts, in everything we do. How does he do it? the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. 
So God's work is this. He's perfected us forever. He's forgiven our sins, forgiven our impurities. He positionally shows us as holy, set apart to God. Now he is working into us his laws, his truth, his love, his compassion, his wisdom. It's working into our hearts. It's working in our minds. And then he's training us to work out those things through our life. As the book of Philippians says, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is working into us, his word, his will, his works, his life, and that we might work them out in our daily life. So positionally, you're holy before God. Experientially, he's training you to live out that holiness more and more every day. So what have I said about being set apart? How can God set me apart? First of all, I need to understand something. Ritual sacrifices aren't enough. You might go, hey, I didn't live on the Old Testament. I'm not sacrificing, I don't want to do that. But maybe sometimes we replace that with, well, if I go to church more, I'll be more holy. If I do more good works or give to the poor, do these certain things, maybe I can feel more holy in myself. We are not doing good works in order to earn God's righteousness. We do good works because God's righteousness has already been given to us. We don't do good works in order to be made holy. We do good works because we've already been made holy. Why? Because ritual sacrifices, whether religious or whether uh, personal conscious or whatever they might be, they're limited. They only cover a specific thing. The old rituals would cover a specific sin, not all sin. Uh, If I start doing good works today, it might make me feel better for the day, but it doesn't change my heart. It doesn't change my attitude. It doesn't change my life. Ritual sacrifices aren't enough. They're limited. They're temporary. They might fix me for a day. You know, it's like willpower commitments. A lot of people, New Year's resolution, right? So you join a gym, you go twice, and then you pay gym memberships for the next two years when you don't go to the gym. It's a temporary fix. It's not a lifestyle change. Those ritual sacrifices are imperfect. They can do partial work, but they don't do the full work to truly change you to be like Jesus. But Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. He's the perfect sacrifice, because he's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. His sacrifice once changed our very nature and being, washing away guilt and shame forever, not just covering it up. But he's also the perfect priest. So that sacrifice now becomes a life where he's interceding for us, he's praying for us, he's strengthening us because he represents us to God. He's fighting with us and fighting for us, for us to live out the life God intended for us. He's also perfect in power because his work actually changed, if you'll notice, our hearts and our minds. His sacrifice doesn't just deal with externals, it works internally to change us from the inside out. Jesus's work continues. He continues to pray for us. So positionally, we've been made holy, but day in, day out, that takes walking it out. He's walking with us. He's praying for us. He's strengthening us. He's encouraging us. He's in the process of sanctifying us. If we've been the ones he's positionally made perfect, he's in the process with us of sanctifying us. He's transforming us by putting his words, his heart, his spirit into our hearts and minds that we might think and live like him. So come to the end of the message, we come to our time of communion together, and we always celebrate this as a reminder of the work of Jesus. Jesus' body broken that our bodies could be made whole. Jesus' blood spilled so that our sins could be forgiven. One sacrifice for all. So we take this as a reminder of that one sacrifice that has made us perfect and now empowers us to begin to live out that perfection, what we call sanctifying work, to change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, to change our attitude from being self-focused to being God-focused and others, uh, people we see as, as people who are there to serve them, not to be served by them. 
So I pray today as you take communion in your own time and you receive uh, just wisdom from the presence of God, that you'd be reminded there's a sacrifice that can truly wash away your guilt, truly wash away your shame. But not only that, can also empower you to live different day in and day out. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.